Well, good morning. Go ahead and find your seats. We're so glad that you are here with us this morning. Hey, if we haven't met, my name is Tristan. I am the associate minister here at UCC. And I know we say this every, every Sunday, but I, I really mean it. We are so glad you're here. You can be doing anything else with your day, but, but you, you are here. You, you took time out of your busy schedules and your plans and, and your weekend to be with us. And so truly, for, for those that are here in person and those watching online, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We're beginning a new series today on the book of Mark that we're calling Remarkable. And over the next several weeks leading up to Easter in this collection of talks and messages, we want to look deeper into the person of Jesus and more specifically the different miracles that he did and why he did them during his three-year ministry here on earth. And our hope, our prayer is that the Spirit of God would fill our hearts and our minds once again or maybe for the first time for Jesus and the things he did. So today I want to speak to this idea of how miracles communicate a message to us that points us to the majesty of Jesus, our Messiah. I'm not positive, but we might break the record for the most M words used in a sentence today. I, I'm not a big Game of Thrones fan, but alliteration is coming. It's, there's your heads up, okay? Alliteration is coming. Mark chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, is the text that we'll be in. We'll be bouncing around a little bit today, but this will be the anchor text that we will use and refer to. Starting in verse 1, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered I messed this up in first service too. So many gathered. Who wrote this thing? So many. I guess it's kind of God, but. Um, so many gathered. So many. So many gathered that there was, there was no room left even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the great crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers, the Pharisees, religious leaders of the law, were sitting there. They were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? What's easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, he took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time and this opportunity to gather around your word and your goodness. God, we don't want to take these moments for granted. So would your spirit just join us in the space and just take these words and, and transform them and communicate them to the deepest parts of our hearts and souls, God. Open our eyes and our ears to what you have for us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When was the last time that you saw something truly remarkable? A time that you just, you were wowed. Something that made you just stop dead in your tracks and made everything else around you disappear as you stood in awe and wonder for that thing. So here's a few examples that I brought with me today of just some remarkable things that I've witnessed in my life that have triggered a similar response. 
The first, I have to say, are Oregon Mountains, right? I think we have a picture. Just the, the sunrise and the sunsets, how, how it changes the different colors and patterns and intricate details of the mountains. I love that. It seems as if God just perfectly paints them as a backdrop for us each and every morning. And this next one is, is probably one of the more majestic things that I've ever come across in my life. Um, it's really, it makes me kind of emotional thinking about it. It means so much to me. Um, but I was sent this picture the other day, and I wanted to share it with you guys. There it is. <laughs> In all its glory, the pop tip, the perfectly placed arm on the side of the building, the smolder, doesn't get much more majestic than that. I'll pause a little bit. If you want to take a picture just for remembering the sake of the sermon, go for it. Now's your chance. The next one, I, I don't necessarily have a desire for this, but every time I see it, it's just, it blows my mind. It's mansions, just huge houses and the different architecture and, and how you can do so much with a room and, and the feel and environment of a place. And it's like the bigger the house, the more remarkable it is to me. Now, I, I made a connection the other day. I think Zillow is for men what Target is for women. What I mean by that is we both spend way too much time there looking at things we can't afford, right? The difference is I never come home with a million-dollar house, and my wife probably spends that in a weekend at Target. But <laughs> this next one, it truly wouldn't be a remarkable sermon series if I didn't show a picture of Mark Wahlberg, the most remarkable of all the marks there is, right? It's not remarkable, it's remarky markable. That was, that was bad. Thomas will preach next week, it's okay. You know, I've, I spent way too much time looking at pictures of Mark Wahlberg on the internet. Um, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that. But is it just me? Can you put that picture back up, Jake? Every picture of him kind of looks like he's confused with what someone told him, right? Like him smiling, he's like, did I hear you right? Every single picture, if you have time, go look it up. It looks like he's just so confused at what somebody said. See, in, infused and innate within each and every one of us is a longing for wonder and awe. It's how we were created. The psalmist in Psalm 139 verse 14 says, I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. And he continues by saying, your works, God, are wonderful. Meaning, and not only are we created to be full of wonder, but full of wonder for the works and the things of God. And every now and then, there are moments in life that just hush our spirits, that calm our souls and fill our hearts with the childlike awe and wonder. Whether that's the sunrise or the sunset, mountains or mansions, food, or maybe even just being with family. Today and throughout the entire biblical narrative, whenever people come in contact and experience and encounter the remarkable things of God, it causes their hearts to overflow with wonder. However, those moments of the miraculous, they seem to be a distant thing in the past, if not something that's just altogether doesn't happen or exist anymore. I understand that many of us might be cautious or hesitant or uncertain to this idea about miracles, mainly because a lot of the miracles that we see today, especially in the church, are fabricated or fake or made up. We aren't sure what we can truly trust or believe anymore. And so we just tend to throw the possibility or, or even the purpose of the miracles, past or present, just out onto the curb. But my fear is that in doing so, what also sits out on that curb is our sense of awe 
and wonder for the message, the majesty, and the man that wasn't as Jesus, our Messiah. And what we'll unpack later on in the message is when we lose our wonder, we're prone to wander away from the things of God. So how do we rekindle that childlike sense of awe and wonder that we were created and instilled with? Well, first, I think we have to understand the purpose of miracles in the first place. So how many of us, show of hands, have ever had, currently have, or will have a problem in the future? Everybody should have their hands in the air. All right, how many of you are sitting next to your problem? <laughs> okay, if, for those that raise their hands, you have an even greater problem than you did before. You are brave. See, all miracles, they first must begin with a problem. We see this idea in Scripture. Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes up to him. He taps him on, she taps him on the shoulder, and she says, Jesus, we have a problem. We need more wine. The disciples, they, they approach Jesus. They tap him on the shoulder. They say, Jesus, problem. We need more food. The paralyzed man in our story, he, he approaches Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I have a problem. I can't walk. See, when you have a problem, you're in a great position for a miracle. I believe God is still in the business of the miraculous. He is still a God of signs and wonders. He is still fixing problems. The problem, however, is that many have misunderstood what their greatest problem is and how miracles point us to the solution to solve it. See, whenever it comes to problems and miracles, our mind often goes to something similar to the fairy godmother in Cinderella. All right, we all know the story of Cinderella. She, she must get to the ball, but she has a problem. Not only does she not have a ride, but she has nothing to wear. And so with the wave of her magical wand, the fairy godmother transforms a pumpkin into a carriage, a few mice into mares, a horse into a coachman, a dog to a servant, and most importantly, rags to the most beautiful gown you've ever seen. All at the magical incantation of what? Bippity-bop-bitty-boo. It's gibberish. And at the speaking of gibberish, the miracle happened and fixed the problem. And while that might make for a great kid's story, it stands in stark contrast to the miracles that we see Jesus perform in the Gospels. See, the miracles of Jesus, they exist for the sake of words, not words for the miracle. The miracles of Jesus, they exist for the sake of words, not words for the miracle, meaning that Jesus performs miracles to underline, highlight, and bold the font of his message and the words that he will say after the works are done. Jesus multiplied bread and fish to prepare the hearts of the people and open the ears of the people to hear a sermon entitled, I am the bread of life. Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead as the exclamation point to the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And in our story we read, he tells the paralytic to rise and to walk to prove the other more scandalous claim, here stands one who can forgive sins. See, the Father sent the Son, Jesus, to perform mighty works, not because we were victims of evil stepsisters, but because we all stood condemned in the sins of our forefather, Adam. Jesus, we have a problem. We need life. And good news, he has a message for us that he communicates through his miracles. 
I typically don't watch a lot of TV, but whenever I do, the shows I tend to gravitate towards are sitcoms, shows like The Office or Parks and Rec or New Girl. And as a pastor, I can't really recommend you watch those because they're a little bit inappropriate. But as a person, they're really funny and enjoyable. And there's a particular moment within those types of shows that I'm, I'm just drawn to. It captures my attention. And it's whenever the dynamic of the show changes, the scene cuts away, the character shifts their focus and begins speaking directly into the camera to the audience. It's those moments that make me stop everything I'm doing and lean in to listen to what they have to say. And we see one of those moments in John's gospel. In chapter 20, towards the conclusion of his book, John interrupts the flow of his writing. The scene cuts away. He looks right into the camera, speaking directly to the onlookers in the audience, which is you and me. He invites us to lean in and listen as he says this about the miracles of Jesus. Now, Jesus did many other signs, wonders, and miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not written or recorded in this book. But these were written so that you, but these were written so that you and me may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Everything God does is done with thoughtful intention and purpose. Whether it was flipping tables or it was feeding thousands, there was a point to everything he did. And John tells us the point of the miracle is to point us to the Messiah. The point of the miracles of Jesus were to point us to the Messiah. Another way that you can say that is the message or the meaning of the miracle is for you to meet the one who made it happen. Just as a good book reflects the author, an amazing meal gives compliments to the chef, an award-winning movie credits the director, or a painting lends itself to its painter, so much so the miracles that Jesus performed would turn people's attention and their affection to God and to authenticate the message he had for them. Luke in Acts chapter 2 says it like this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God, accredited by God to you and to me through what? Miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. See, all the miracles of Jesus, past, present, and future, are not simply to fix our external problems, but to grab our attention long enough for us to hear a much more important message of a much greater problem, which is an internal problem of our heart. We need life. And through miracles, Jesus draws us to himself as the one who has the power to fix our problem. The man is lowered into the room through the ceiling, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That's great. Uh, what about my legs? That's kind of why I'm here. See, Jesus knew the man had a much greater problem than his inability to walk, and Jesus had a much greater message for him as well as for the people that stood and watched around him. See, by healing the man's legs, Jesus proved and communicated that he also had the power to heal hearts. Miracles of the fairy godmother, they might prepare us for the ball by fixing or changing our external problems. However, the miracles of Jesus, they fix the external in order to transform the internal and prepare us for the eternal. The miracles of Jesus, they fix your external problems and situations and circumstances so that he can fix and change your heart and prepare you for eternity. Who is this man? Ask the religious leaders in Mark chapter 2 that tells the lame to walk and boast of the ability to have the power to forgive sins. My sophomore year of high school, we got invited to play in a basketball tournament in Arizona called the Christian Cup. 
And looking back, it kind of sounds more like a NASCAR event than it does a basketball tournament. But it was actually a really prestigious tournament that boasted some of the best and top Christian basketball programs in the nation. This tournament that we were in, we, we held our own, but needless to say, we were way out of our league. Like whenever we got to the tournament, there were multiple players that had already gone on to sign for, to play for some of the top D1 programs in the nation. But there was one guy in particular that whenever everyone walked in the room and saw him, they said, who is that? Who's that guy? It was a guy by the name of Mamadou Ndaye, and he was seven foot six inches tall. He towered over the rest. Here's a few photos that I have of our team playing against him. His head was like at the bottom of the net. I love this next one. You remember our little redheaded fellow friend we met, Nick? That's him right there. Now, keep in mind, Nick is six foot, six one on a good day. He's like at his belly button, maybe? I don't want to exaggerate. I think Mamadou had 12 to 15 dunks alone against us just because he just had to reach it up and put the ball in the basket. It was incredible. I remember the moment that I met Mamadou like it was yesterday. This wasn't just a tournament. It was also like a banquet. So they had a, a speaker and a, and a meal, and, and Mamadou is standing in line of the buffet, and I walk up behind him just trembling, like so nervous. And I feel bad because I, I, I just couldn't stop staring at him. Like, I'd never been around somebody like that tall before. And I think he noticed that I was staring at him because he turns around in the deepest voice ever while stretching out his hand to shake mine. Hey, what's up, man? He's like, good. It's <laughs> like, good? He didn't ask, how are you? He said, what's up? Good makes no sense, but that's all that came out of my mouth. And when I shook his hand, my hand literally fit in his palm. I think his middle finger touched this part of my arm, the inside of my elbow. Is that called your elbow? I think this is your elbow. I don't know what that's called. Your elbow basket, your internal elbow. I don't know. It's not the point. It's not the point. I had never been around someone like that. And the way that I felt being around Mamadou is a tiny, tiny, tiny glimpse into how people felt when they encountered the majesty of Jesus. The disciples, they watched as Jesus silenced a storm with a single word. Struck with wonder and awe at his majesty, they asked, who is that? That even the elements will bend a knee to his commands? See, when we experience the remarkable things of God on earth, we often reach for words that would transpose the weight of that earthly experience into the key of heaven. And majesty is that word that we often use, yet still majesty doesn't even come close to fully describing the glory and the strength of God. The best way I know how to describe majesty is majesty is going to the Grand Canyon and going to the edge of a cliff and just looking down. Majesty is, is the chill down your spine as you hear the roar of thunder shake the ground beneath your feet. Majesty is that shrinking feeling you get as you go out and you stare at the nice guy. Of all the miraculous wonders in the world, the steepest mountains, the grandest canyons, the widest oceans, none of them come close to comparing to Jesus. Jesus radiates the beauty and the majesty of God. He carries with him every continent and planet and galaxy with less than a pinky. He orders each wave in the Pacific Ocean to rise and fall as he pleases. He feeds every hummingbird and blue jay every single meal. 
He decides the height and the hue of each individual blade of grass and every field that covers the earth. Seven billion people will take their next breath because and only because he gives it to them. He holds the, water in the, hollow, the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. It says with the breadth of his hand, he marks out the heavens. He marks out the entire universe. He holds the dust of the entire earth in a basket. It's at his voice that water blushes to wine. It's at his voice that the storm is stilled. He is the majestic one. He is the desire of all nations. He is the one who delivered Israel at the sea and his church at the cross, all to provoke the question, who is this man? And who am I? When was the last time the remarkable things of Jesus put that knot of both fear and amazement in your stomach? When was the last time the remarkable things of Jesus stole your attention long enough to make you aware of just how small you really are, not in worth or value, but in stature? When was the last time the remarkable things of Jesus sent to chill down your spine and led you to your knees, your face, and worship in the awe of majesty of God? See, miracles should lead you to the majesty of God, which should then fill our hearts with wonder. When God moves, we are supposed to be moved to this place of deep worship. After Jesus healed the paralyzed man, it says that all who saw that were astonished and they glorified and they praised God. However, most of us today aren't like those people. We're much more like the Pharisees or the religious leaders that were at that scene as well. They weren't moved by the majesty of God. And because they weren't moved by God's majesty, they missed his miracle. See, when we lose our wonder, we begin to wander away from the way and the things of God. We see Jesus talk to this idea and this concept in Matthew 11. He says, then he, Jesus, he began to scold the cities where he had done his greatest miracles. Why? Because they didn't respond. They didn't change their hearts and their lives, which is the purpose and intention of the miracle in the first place, right? Jesus does his miracle to change the external for the purpose of changing the internal. See, when God ceases to amaze us, we wander off in pursuit of earthly things in hopes of filling our hearts once again with a sense of awe and wonder that God can only give us. And I love the way that Pastor John Piper says it. If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with the streetlight. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and the majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world full of shadows and short-lived pleasures. The miracles of God are meant to communicate a message to us and point us back to the majesty of our Messiah. Yet many of us, we've lost our wonder, and because of that, we've missed the miracle. I believe that to be true for, for two reasons. I think most of us are missing the miracle because we're too bored, or we're too busy, or both. G.K. Chesterton, he says it like this, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. So if you've become bored or numb to the works of God, it's not because he stopped being wonderful. It's not because he has stopped working or moving. See, today with a quick search on YouTube, we can find the most amazing and incredible things in an instant. Because of this, not only has it raised our standard of what's truly remarkable, it's given us the desire for things to happen immediately. We see the final clip of the skateboarder landing the incredible tri trick, but what we don't see is the hours and hours of footage that it took to get to that place. When it comes to miracles, we tend to expect it to come now. And when it doesn't, 
we quickly give up, become bored, and lose interest. You may want God to miraculously fix your marriage now. And he can, and he might. But sometimes God will miraculously transform your marriage through years and years of therapy, talking, and tears. God still does miracles. They just don't always happen, manifest, or come when we want them to. Why? Because God is much more interested in your commitment to him than he is with your comfortability here on earth. He knows that like those cities that we read about in Matthew, if he waves his magical wand and he just gives us what we want, we risk worshiping the things God can do for us rather than worshiping God. The external may change, but our internal would remain the same. That's why we need the stories and the promises that we find in Scripture and that we hear from, from fellow believers because we need confidence and hope and assurance that God is still working in our season of waiting so we don't lose interest and we don't throw in the towel so soon. Another reason we might miss the miracle is because we're just too busy. The truth for many of us is we're full. Our schedules are full, our hearts are full, our minds are full, our lives are full. Everything is full. There isn't room and there certainly isn't time for God. See, most of the time, our lives are moving too fast to see the miracle of God. Our lives are moving much too quickly to see what God is up to. Let me put it this way. Say you took a plane from here to Phoenix. How much of that trip would you see and remember? Some. You'd probably look out the window of the plane and see the lots of the lands, the squares. You'd probably see some faint colors or, or the distant sh outline of shapes of cars and, and mountains and cities or buildings. What if you drove? You'd see a little more, maybe road signs, maybe more vegetation, more plants, more cities. What if you rode a bike? You'd see a little more. What if you walked from here to Phoenix? you survived walking from here to Phoenix in one trip, you would notice the insects on the little blades of grass on the sides of the road, the rabbits scurrying off into bushes as you scare them as you walk by. You would see the different colors of the flowers, maybe stop to pick a couple. You'd meet people in the city, see the pebbles on the side of the road, or just get lost in the intricate details of the landscape. So you would have a completely different experience of the journey. Why? Because you took it slowly. As believers, we say we're walking with God because that's the pace of God. If we slow our lives down enough, we'll begin to see all of the remarkable details of what the Lord is quietly doing in and around our life. Are you missing the miracle? Odds are you might be bored, you might be busy, or you might be both. And actually, there's, there's a third reason why you might miss the miracle. Maybe you miss it because you're bruised and you're beaten and you're broken. And I don't mean you miss it necessarily in the sense of you don't notice it, but you miss it. You long for it. You crave it for your life, but it hasn't happened. You might be saying, if God does miracles, why has he not done anything for me yet? And the answer is sometimes God just, he chooses not to heal you. And he chooses to leave you with certain things. And while we don't have to, time today to talk about why that is, you have to come back next week because Thomas will be talking about why that happens and why that is the case. But what I will say about that is this. If you're bruised and you're broken today, take heart in knowing that Jesus was bruised and broken as well. 
Isaiah 53 says he was bruised and he was broken on our behalf. That means that we, not only can he sympathize with us, but he gives us a purpose and a promise in the midst of our pain. Jackson, you can, you can come up and play your little guitar while we close out. Thanks, man. I apologize. I know I've thrown um, a lot at you this morning. Thank you for, um, for being so kind and letting me, me speak um, and listening. Uh, so I just want to recap. Through divine actions, through miracles, the God of wonders, he communicates a message to us of the majesty of Jesus, the Messiah. Yet we often lose our wonder either because we're bored or we're busy or both. And when that happens, we tend to wander away from the way and the things of God. So what's the solution? What do we do? How do we fix this? And what scripture tells us is as the way to restore our wonder is we are to remember and meditate on the miracles and the majesty of Jesus. At the end and conclusion of our story in Mark chapter 2, Jesus tells the, the newly healed man, hey, don't forget to take your mat. Take your mat up with you and go. It's an interesting ask, but I believe that his mat was to be a reminder to him of what happened that day. Anytime he would begin to lose his wonder, all he had to do was look at the mat and be filled with fresh awe and wonder of the majesty of Jesus and what happened that day. I don't, know if, I don't know if he hung the mat up on the wall of his house or he kept it in his garage or what, but I, I like to believe he did keep it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he once said that the way the devil works in your daily life is that he doesn't try and make Christians hate God. He tries to make Christians forget God. That's why the psalmist, in a rebuttal to that scheme and work of Satan, he says this in Psalm 145, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Why? Because when we meditate on the miracles of Jesus, rather than fixating on our problems, we understand mentally, spiritually, that there's more than what this life has to offer us. And I love the way the pastor and author Tim Keller says it. We modern people, we think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, or death in it. Jesus, he came to redeem what has been wronged and heal the world where it's been broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretaste of what he's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. Amen. So more than mountains, mansions, and yes, even the beloved Mark Wahlberg, Jesus and the things that he did are still the most remarkable things to ever occur in all of human history. The point of the miracles that we'll talk about over the duration of this series is to point you to the Messiah who has already performed the greatest miracle of all. And in doing so, he has already provided us a solution to our greatest need. We once were dead, but now we're offered life in the name of Jesus. And this morning, as we move into a time of communion, it's a time to remember the majesty and the miracle of our, of our Messiah, who is Jesus, the things he did and the things he is still doing, the things he will continue to do for us in the future. So as we take this bread, which is representative of the body of Christ, that was broken and bruised for us, and we take this cup and this juice, which represents his blood that was spilled, we do so in remembrance of him, remembrance of the miracle of the cross, that God would step down from his throne in heaven 
to go to the cross so that we could step into life in his name. And so during these next few songs, I invite you to come to the tables in the front or in the back, share in this meal. You can pray with yourself, someone else around the room. If you need anything at all, come find myself, Thomas, elders, Nick. We're all around the room. If you need anything at all, we would love to sit and talk with you, pray for you, give you a hug, whatever you need. So I'm going to pray. We're going to continue singing a couple more songs, and then we'll share it together in this meal. Father, we love you. We thank you for, we just thank you for who you are. God, forgive us for how easily we wander away from you. Forgive us when we doubt. Spirit, would you just restore us with wonder and awe for your majesty? Lord Jesus, would you just remind us again of who you are. May we carry that with us through the desert seasons of life, through seasons of waiting, trials, temptation, whatever may come our way, God. Like the paralyzed man in our story, would you turn our affection and our attention again to you and the cross? That no matter what happens to us, you've already taken care of our greatest need and performed the greatest miracle of all. God, and may that change us internally as you prepare us for eternity. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Let's stand, let's eat and drink as we sing and share and worship.